Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics, the Vote 2019 edition. It is day 24 of the campaign. On the agenda today, the dual citizenship controversy involving Andrew Scheer, the personal views on abortion of the Liberal leader, the latest polling numbers, and the battle on the ground in Saskatchewan. But first, as always, our primer, day 24. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer campaigned in Toronto and announced his tough-on-crime measures. They include targeting gang members by ending automatic bail, a five-year mandatory minimum sentence for violent gang crime or possession of a smuggled firearm, creating a new border task force to intercept illegal firearms at the border, expanded background checks for gun licensing, and making it a crime to provide a firearm to anyone banned from owning one. Shears also promising to change Canada's drugs and substance strategy to focus on recovery from addiction and to strengthen human trafficking laws. Andrew Scheer says his approach will be more effective than Liberal promises to ban some types of rifles and give municipalities power to ban handguns. On October 21st, the people of Canada have a serious decision to make about crime. You can choose Justin Trudeau, who has made sentences softer and laws weaker for gang criminals, and whose only plan to fight gun violence is to somehow make criminals start obeying the law. Or you can choose a Conservative government that will do the hard work of going after criminals, that will impose new and tougher sentences for gang crime, that will stop guns at the border, and that will take real actions to keep our neighbourhoods safe so you can get ahead. Shear is also facing more questions today about his dual citizenship and why he didn't come forward on his own to tell Canadians about it when he and other Conservatives had been critical of other dual citizenship holders in the past, including former NDP leader Tom Mulcair and former Governor-General Mikhail Jean. Is the Conservative leader guilty of hypocrisy? As I said, everyone who's ever, who knows me and knows my family knows my father was born in the U.S. It's not a, it's not a secret. In fact, he actually worked at a newspaper and uh, um, uh, worked with many people in the media and was always open about where he was born and where he's from. Uh, and when we're looking at Justin Trudeau, who looked Canadians in the eyes and lied, he was asked specifically about the SNC-Lavalin affair, and he said things that he knew were not true. That is a lie. Uh, he promised he would balance the budget in 2019. He didn't. He promised he would make life more affordable. He raised taxes on 80% of Canadians, of middle-class Canadians. He said he would represent Canada with strength on the world stage. We saw how that went. So when, when Canadians are looking at what he is offering this election, they know that they cannot trust him to do the things that he is promising, but they can under, with a Conservative government. Lucy. 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 Liberal leader Justin Trudeau campaigned in Quebec City, where he sat down for breakfast to sell locals on his proposals to lower taxes for some Canadians and to promote his measures to fight climate change and protect the environment. There was no new announcement, but Trudeau was asked about the sheer controversy over dual citizenship and perhaps a similarity. Scheer didn't disclose his dual citizenship, just as Trudeau did not disclose his past use of blackface. I took responsibility uh, for the mistakes I've made in the past. I uh, apologize for them. Uh, Mr. Scheer uh, continues to not take responsibility for his choices of the past, his actions of the past, his mistakes of the past. I think that's a question for him. And on the issue of abortion, which has come up frequently in the campaign, Justin Trudeau, who once said he personally opposed abortion, 
now says he has abandoned that view completely. In 2011, uh, I said clearly that I was and always would be pro-choice, uh, but I also, uh, in a context where I was talking about my own personal faith, um, expressed something that I no longer believe. Uh, I don't think it is actually coherent or consistent uh, for someone to say that they are pro-choice, particularly a man, to say that they are pro-choice but don't like abortion. Um, I don't like, I, I, I evolved past uh, that particular perspective. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned in Saskatchewan, where the NDP is battling to save the three seats it won in the last election. He talked up his proposals to deliver universal pharmacare and dental care for lower-income Canadians. He was asked for his reaction to the Andrew Scheer dual citizenship controversy. So, so I think Mr. Scheer was uh, hypocritical, but I don't think that's a surprise. <laughs> it's not a surprise. But no, I think this is a distraction, to be honest with you. I, I can criticize Mr. Scheer for a lot of reasons. This isn't one of them. Uh, his policies on cutting services for families, his his weak position or the fact that he's willing to open up the discussion around a woman's right to choose. Uh, that to me is a massive problem. The fact that he doesn't support LGBTQ communities. Those are things I could criticize him. Uh, the conservatives track record on failing indigenous communities. The fact that every time we see a conservative com government come in power, they cut the services that families need and it costs families a lot more. Those are things I would criticize. And that's the kind of day it's been, day 24 of the campaign. And more news on the campaign trail today. The Trudeau government has decided to challenge a landmark human rights ruling ordering compensation for First Nations children in the on-reserve child welfare system. The federal application calls for an order to set aside the tribunal's decision and dismiss the claim for compensation, or at the very least, demands that the tribunal review its own decision. That decision ordered the government to pay $40,000 to each child. That cost could run into billions of dollars. Today, the Prime Minister says the matter needs more time. We need to get this compensation right. We need to do this the right way, and Canadians know that that is not something that Ottawa decides. It's something that we've decided in partnership, whether it was the 60s scoop, whether it was the, uh, the uh, forced relocations, whether it was the day schools, uh, whether it was the TV apology and compensations. These are things that need to be done in a respectful way with communities and in an electoral period we simply do not have time to do it. We recognize the harm that has been done and we fully accept the need for compensation but Canadians expect us to get it right and uh, Indigenous peoples expect us to get it right and that's exactly what we're going to do. And on my program last night, I asked First Nations children's advocate Cindy Blackstock how an appeal of this decision from the Human Rights Tribunal would be viewed. We're really at a moral turning point here. Do we as a country accept that racial discrimination against children should be used as a fiscal restraint measure? And what measure does it send to children when they're getting less public services than everyone else, and yet they see the government making choices to renovate parliament for 15 years? That's more important than little kids having a childhood? I don't think most Canadians would agree with that. Well, time now to get some perspectives from uh, some colleagues in the uh, field of journalism, of course. Gloria Galloway is a columnist for Post Media. Bob Fife is a parliamentary bureau chief for the Globe and Mail. And Mia Rapson, parliamentary reporter for the Canadian Press. Good to see you all. Thanks hey, for being here. Be here. Look, let's start with 
Uh, Bob, let me start with you because we, we got the story came from you in the Globe and Mail, and that's the whole dual citizenship story involving Andrew Scheer. Uh, more questions for him today, and we now know that, in fact, uh, under the rules that he went back and checked, and he has, in fact, registered for the draft in the United States, which you have to do if you're a U.S. citizen or a, or a dual citizen, but he's renouncing the citizenship now. Why is this a story, and why, why are there more questions we still need answered? No, I don't think there are more questions to be answered. Uh, I mean, there may be some when did he give actually the actual date he gave up his passport or how many when did he start filing his taxes i suppose but the larger issue is this this is a leader of who of a major political party who wanted to be prime minister he said in may 27 when he won the leadership he said to himself i better give up my um, uh, u.s citizenship but he didn't do it apparently to them uh until uh, august. august of this year and even when i asked them about it you know, a couple of days ago, it took them a whole full day to get back to me. What's complicated about this? Either he has it or he doesn't have it. And the, and the other issue is, so one is, you know, judgment on you should have gotten rid of this U.S. citizenship a long time ago, especially if you want to become prime minister. And secondly, this whole hypocrisy, the conservatives dined out on Stefan Dion 2008. Tom and Mulcair. on Tom Mulcair and in Jean. 2015, and, and to some extent on Mikhail Jean as well, because all three of them held French citizenship. Stephen Harper, who was prime minister at the time, showed nothing but disdain, you know, for anybody with dual citizenship who wanted to be a political leader. And so that's where he gets nailed. Lots of people have dual citizenship right. and they can sit in parliament. That's not a problem. But I do think people would question it if you're the leader of a major party that is going to become prime minister, and it, particularly so if your political party has, has been hypocritical about it. Gloria, what do yeah, you Yeah, I, I agree. The hypocrisy is the worst situation. Um, the second biggest problem is that it's an American citizenship. We do an awful lot of business and trade and discussions with the Americans. We don't do quite as much with France, but look, I don't doubt that Scheer's, uh, you know, lo loyalties and allegiances lie with Canada and not the United States, but it would be kind of odd having a prime minister who is an American citizen trying to negotiate a trade deal with the Americans. I mean, it's just the optics of it alone are just kind of weird. And you have to use a U.S. passport if you went to the United States. <laughs> well, and he's in the process of renouncing it, right, Mia? But I mean, I, I and he's saying he's waiting to hear from the U.S. Embassy. Well, what what would happen if he, in fact, were? Uh, elected prime minister and it still hadn't been renounced well, and and what if it was months before it was renounced and it could be because the US generally says it's nine to ten months for this to happen now granted they could probably fast-track it for the leader of a neighboring nation they might sort of pull a few strings but one of the interesting things is when, when Scheer himself raised questions about Mikhail Jean's citizenship back mm -hmm. in 2005 and what the question he posed in this blog that he wrote was do you have a problem with Mikhail Jean having a French citizenship would you feel differently if it was an American citizen he didn't feel at that point to tell anybody right. that he also held a dual citizenship. And he also didn't answer a question today about whether he raised with his party when they were going after Dion and going after Thomas Mulcair. Hey, it's me, hey, Andrew, I over here. Have I, I have dual like, citizenship. He, he didn't say whether he did or not. And we so We don't even know if he raised it with the party after he became leader. Yeah, no. And so, it, for again, it's it's the hypocrisy. It's just sort of like, well, and he keeps saying, I was open and transparent. Nobody asked me about it. Well, is it open and transparent if you just wait for it to be asked? Right. And, and so let's talk about, so uh, the Liberal leader, Justin Trudeau, today uh, moved us forward on the whole abortion conversation, I think, because up until this point, he, he, you know, he's been very hard on Andrew Scheer and about revealing his personal view, which Andrew Scheer's finally done. Uh, 
Uh, and today, Justin Trudeau was asked, well, look, your, your personal view a few years ago was you were against abortion too, um, and you're jumping all over Andrew Scheer, so, you know, what about that? And now Justin Trudeau says, no, I've, I've evolved from that view to the point where now I'm fully pro-choice, uh, you know, whatever I think, whatever my religious uh, you know, background upbringing tells me I've parked that and I'm fully pro-choice, pro nothing to worry about here. So uh, what do we think of that? It's interesting to me that he waited until a few minutes after Andrew Scheer said, finally said, I am personally pro-life to admit that or to say that he had, had this con conversion or this change in thinking, evolution of thinking, he called it, I think. Why did he wait so long to talk about this? I mean, the abortion issue is something they have been raising as a question for Andrew Scheer day in and day out of this campaign. And Justin Trudeau did not say anything specific until today that all of a sudden, well, I, you know, I've changed my thinking on so this. So when Andrew Scheer says, you know, I'm, I'm a pro-choice, or sort of pro-life, but I will not let it affect how I rule. Um, Gloria, are there still questions left for voters on this? or do So, you, you know what, I think this is actually a little bit of a canard that's been raised by the Liberals. Like, I honestly do not believe that any leader of any stripe, even Mr. Scheer, who doesn't believe in it personally, is going to be able to uh, in, in bring in any kind of abortion law. I mean, it may put doubts in the minds of Canadians who are concerned about, you know, reverting to some kind of far right-wing conservative, social conservative policy. But look, Scheer says he's not going to do it, wouldn't do it if he were elected, and I believe him. He just doesn't I, have I, the tools. I guess the, what some of the critics were saying today is, okay, but will you defend a woman's right to choose? Will you defend pro-choice in outside of Canada, around the world? Like, so what, if you don't well, believe I mean, in it, well, even does, own, does he need to answer No, that? but even his own foreign policy announcement uh, last week, right. they're not going. He said to, every program that's working now with abortion. Touching, you, know. you know, but I mean, look, the whole the whole issue here with uh, with Mr. Shear and is that the Liberals have used this forever against mm -hmm. conservatives. Always raised abortion right. every election, and, it's and, and it, it works. works. And I that's can't why fathom it. why the conservatives don't have an answer to this because the liberals do it all the time try to scare people and it works but, I mean I'm hearing from people when I'm looking at online posts and talking to sort of at non bubble people as I call them that's one of the things well, they what raise is the a answer? concern what, they, what is what 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 answer could Andrew Shear give the answer or, is, or if he'd given it much sooner to say look my religious views are this it has nothing to We've do with how We've had a conservative government. government for 10 years under Stephen Harper. He shared the same views that I did. We did not touch yeah. the issue of abortion. Right. Give it a rest. The liberals are trying to suck you in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is kind of where he got to, but it took him weeks it to do it. Right. it took right. him too long. Right, and, okay. and we see uh, Justin Trudeau demanding, demanding, demanding to have Shear's personal views without giving... Well, now we have those two, apparently. Uh, let's talk about the uh, decision. Uh, today by Justin Trudeau in, in, in his capacity now as Prime Minister. Uh, the government has made a decision to appeal the Human Rights Tribunal ruling on compensation for First Nations children in on-reserve uh, child care services, uh, saying he, he, uh, he agrees there needs to be compensation, uh, but he needs more time. He said today that it, it's too rushed to try and put this together by the December deadline of when we're supposed to have a framework for paying this out. Uh, Gloria, what do you think of this? Look, you know, um, the Indigenous vote in Canada is never going to win an election, so I think he can back off if he wants to. But uh, already we're seeing signs that the Indigenous communities 
to who have, let's just make it very clear, received billions of dollars under the mm -hmm. Liberal government. I mean, they really have benefited and made some, made some really good changes, uh, or at least put money toward changes. I don't know whether it's been real or not in the final analysis, but um, we, we have seen already that Indigenous communities are turning their backs on, on the Trudeau government and saying, oh, we're not going to vote for him like we did the last time. And I think part of it has just been this particular issue. The Trudeau government has appeared to, at so many steps along the way, uh, fought this particular court battle and not lined up behind indigenous, the, the most troubled of indigenous children in Canada. And I understand it's lots of money. I understand you can't just jump in and say, yeah, we're going to spend, you know, billions of dollars on this or billions of dollars on that without doing a full analysis. But this too just adds more to that, that Mia, issue. Mia, we see the reaction already from indigenous leaders in this country, you know, uh, you know, outrage uh, is fair, but also it, it, it speaks to the whole notion that uh, things were going to be different. And this carries on a tradition of, of challenging all kinds of court rulings or tribunal rulings uh, that deal with the treatment of Indigenous kids. Right? Absolutely. And this case dates back 12 years. It was first brought in 2007 and it took several years to get it even just to a hearing because the federal government then under the Conservatives was fighting it. And now the Liberals have been sort of fighting it, not doing what the tribunal asked them to do. And they're saying, well, we need more time. We believe in compensation. But the actual ruler or filing, the court document, that they put in place doesn't say we need more time. It says there are some fundamental problems with these decisions and we think it needs to be rethought. If they just said we want to sort of extend the, de the deadline from December 10th till January or February because the election has interfered, fair enough. That's a fair argument, but Bob, that's not entirely let me what jump they've to, said. Bob, I want to, if we're running kind of tight at times, I want to jump to another subject. Jason Kenney. We have Jason mm -hmm. Kenney in the Ottawa region today campaigning for Conservatives and Andrew Scheer. Going to be in the GTA on the weekend. I, I, I don't think he's going to be with Andrew Scheer on the weekend. He's going to be on his own yeah. in the weekend in the Isn't GTA. Isn't he the Premier of Alberta? He's the Premier of Alberta. <laughs> and he's, he's, this, this is Ontario, right? Th this is Ontario. And, and is Doug Ford out in Alberta helping out Doug there? Doug Ford's or not or in Ontario. No, he's not <laughs> I don't know where Doug Ford is, but, but it's kind of interesting. Jason Ford, front and centre for the I Conservatives. Jason Ford. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Jason Kenney, no sign of Doug Ford, but Jason Kenney's there. Uh, look, is look, he some kind of secret uh, weapon look, for the Conservatives? Jason Kenney, uh, for all his years in, in the Harper government, had made a significant inroads into ethnic communities mm -hmm. in this country. But nonetheless, I think it's does not look very good for the federal conservatives that they have to bring in on the eve by, uh, by the way of school walkouts on Monday or Tuesday that they have to bring in the Alberta premier to help Andrew Scheer win votes in Ontario this is nuts. And okay. I also don't think it's necessarily a winning strategy for them. I think that a lot of the folks in and around Ottawa and in Ontario in general are concerned about climate change. And look, he's the guy in Canada that's kind of leading the battle against things like the carbon tax and stuff like that. I'm not too sure what kind of welcome Kenny's going to be getting at those doors. And he's coming in with his own baggage out of his own province right now. So maybe not the person that uh, they want. 30 seconds from each of you, if I can. Debate night, Monday night, English debate. Uh, what are you watching for? Uh, watching to see part, partly how Andrew Scheer handles it. He uh, was very heavily criticized for how he handled the French debate this week uh, in his second language. If he can't handle a debate with Trudeau in English in his first language better than he went went to in the TVI debate, debate this week, it'll be a tough, tough rest of the election right. for him. Looking after Trudeau's demeanor, if he manages to stick to the script, if he manages to stay in control, if he manages to look prime ministerial, He'll have this thing won, but he can so easily be thrown off just personally. So I'll see if he can manage to keep it together.
Bob? Uh, I think Andrew Scheer is losing this election, uh, particularly this week, and start to see the signs. So he needs a big win on Monday, but the format is going to make it very difficult because there are six candidates and five hosts. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Here we're only three and one. Perfect. Thank you all. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much. Thanks. David Coletto has been taking a closer look at the campaign by the numbers for us. He's the CEO of Abacus Data and joins us today from Vancouver. David, good to see you again. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. David. First, first, let's see where we are in the, in the campaign horse race. Let's start there and then we can move on from that. What, what's the headline as we look at numbers now? Well, it's, it's still deadlocked. What I've done here is I've taken all the polls that have come out over the last few days and averaged them out. And what we get is literally a tie, 34% for the Liberals, 34%. Uh, for the Conservatives, the NDP's at 14 and the Greens are at 10. And what I've done here is looked at what has changed since the beginning of the campaign. And what we actually see is not much. The, the Liberals and the Conservatives are both down about a point from when this campaign started. The NDP's up three points, um, not insignificant, but not you know fundamentally different from where they were. And uh, the Greens are basically holding as well, only down one point in Quebec. Uh, the block is is about where they were. They've they've seen some in, increase, but but at five percent nationally is 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 uh, really where they were at the start of this campaign. Oh, okay, um, let let's take a look at the polling average from averages from just before the campaign started until now. Uh, and this is always I always like this because it gives you kind of a a line that you can follow to tell you who's had sort of ups and downs and where we're moving. What what does that say to you when you look at these lines? Well, it says. Clearly, I think that not a lot has changed, right? Those lines are pretty flat um, for the first three weeks of this campaign, despite how much has happened, um, whether it's the, the photos of the prime minister in blackface, whether it's the first debate, McLean's debate, or, or even the debate um, this week, um, the French language debate, we haven't seen a whole lot of change overall. Some polls have shown, you know, the numbers go up slightly, some go down slightly. But the average really has shown a lot of consistency, that, that there has been some movement in terms of who's slightly ahead or who's slightly behind. But so far, um, it's one of the remarkable things about this campaign has been how consistent these numbers have been, how little uh, campaign events have moved people away from you know, where they were uh, going to vote and where might they vote uh, two weeks or so from now. And I think that is something to watch really closely. In my view, there's, there's, either, there's two things either happening here. Uh, one is that people are really locked in, right? That they aren't, um, there's not, no reason for them right now to be moving from their, their intention or their vote intention. Another um, alternative is, though, that there's a lot of voters out there who are not changing their intended vote, but aren't fully locked in. And we won't know whether which one of those is true, obviously, until Election Day. But the consistency of these numbers uh, if we go back to you know the, the last few campaigns that we've had at the federal level, these numbers have moved far more over those campaigns than what we've seen so far. So this level of consistency and how people are feeling is something so far quite unique about this campaign. All right, do we, let, let, let's have, let's look at the numbers behind the numbers and and dig down a bit in the regions uh, to help us understand um, you know where that national number comes from and you know how the country kind of breaks down. It also helps us understand certainly in the next two weeks of the campaign. Uh, why you're going to see leaders go where they go. And we're seeing some of that already today. But let's look at those regional numbers. When you look at it, 
any significant changes to see there in voter in, in what people are saying to you and where, how the parties are polling and what does it tell us? Well, not a whole lot across the board. If we go from the west to the east, we start out in BC where I am right now. Um, it's a very close race in BC, a much more uh, three or four party race, in fact, than in other parts of the country. The Liberals and the Conservatives are, are are basically, you know, more or less tied. The Conservatives have a slight advantage in in BC over the Liberals, but you see those elevated NDP and Green numbers in British Columbia, and and even in BC, you know, the province as a whole isn't uniform. What's happening on Vancouver Island, where you're going to have likely three, maybe four-way races in some ridings is very different than what you might be seeing in the interior and or in some parts of the lower mainland. And so BC remains a, a really important battleground, which suggests if these numbers hold, Peter, you and I are going to be on together at election night. We're going to be up late before we might even know how this election ends. Right. If we move over the Rockies and we look at uh, Alberta, um, you know, solidly liberal, um, excuse me, solidly conservative, that's been that way uh, for the entire campaign. It's been that way for a really long time. And, and the Conservatives look poised to do very well. Going into the prairies, you know, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, two very different provinces. We combine them um, probably at our peril sometimes because Saskatchewan's been trending heavily towards the Conservatives. And Manitoba, in the polling that we do have available, because sample sizes are typically smaller, it's more competitive, particularly in Winnipeg. So I think there'll be a, a lot of eyes on, on that. And then we come to Ontario, where we have seen some shifts uh, over the course of the campaign. Uh, some polls have suggested it's closer than others, but the average suggests the Liberals have uh, a five-point lead in Ontario. Um, that's that's helped primarily by a big lead in the, the city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. Outside of the formal 416 area code, um, it's it's more competitive. But but even then, I think the Liberals are, are still holding that lead in, in, in Ontario, and that is giving them, I think, the confidence um, to, to probably win more seats if these numbers hold. Then there's Quebec. And Quebec has actually seen some movement, um, and it, it's been interesting. The Liberals have, have maintained their lead throughout the whole campaign. But one of the, I think, sub-stories of this campaign, and I think we won't quite know yet what impact the French language debate uh, on TVA had, is the Bloc is really playing as a wild card. How, how much support can the Bloc uh, develop between now and Election Day? Because their leader is relatively unknown in Quebec, but I think he performed well. Um, uh, at that debate, and and so that that remains one right. of those wild cards. How well does the bloc do? Can the are the conservatives going to get uh, harmed by by perhaps a, a less than stellar performance by Mr. Scheer? And how many seats can the Liberals pick up? And then finally, in Atlantic Canada, um, the Liberal lead there has been solid. We haven't seen much movement uh, in those numbers, and so um, you know they'll likely lose a few seats, but it still looks like uh, it's it's solidly a red uh, red region for the. For the Liberals. Okay, a couple things to finish up on here, and and, and one is, I mean, we you, you touched on uh, the blackface controversy and Justin Trudeau. Now we have this dual citizenship controversy for for Andrew Scheer. But I mean, if you looked at the blackface controversy, it, it didn't seem to you know move the numbers a whole lot. Maybe a blip for a day, and then it was gone again. Uh, it's, I'm not sure. It may take a while to see what happens with the dual citizenship. Uh, issue in Andrew Scheer, but uh, do you think this is an issue that that moves voters, or is this another one of those possible blip things? I, I'm not. Sh I'm not sure it's going to move many voters away. I think if 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 you think of who, um, uh, what's driving these voters right now by by party, um, you know, it might prevent Andrew Scheer from growing, you know, his support, the share of the vote. Um, but that's never really, I think, been what the Conservatives. Have wanted in this campaign. What, what matters more to them is that their voters are motivated, so that when it comes time 
to vote conservatives are uh, going to be more likely to actually turn out. I don't think this changes that. Their motivation is still primarily to defeat oh. Justin Trudeau and elect Andrew Scheer. I don't think you know him having dual citizenship and not telling anyone about it uh, really changes that. But it does perhaps give, um, you know, it, it's all about momentum. Campaigns are all about stories and how, how quickly these stories change. And it, it's taken attention away from, you know, litigating whether the Liberals deserve to be reelected and now put more focus on Andrew Scheer. So if anything, it, 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 it might change the dynamics. But I, I still don't feel that this is going to fundamentally change. Oh, OK, that. let's finish on this. How, how, how important is the debate Monday night? I think it could be really important. I think it's going to be the first chance that most Canadians um, we're going to see all five leaders on the stage at the same time. Um, I think it, it's, it's going to be important for, for voters in Ontario and B.C. in particular, but across the country. And I think it's a chance um, for them to gauge these leaders. What we don't know is, you know, having Max Bernier on that stage, having Elizabeth May, it, there's a lot, of, a lot of people, and it's hard sometimes for any one of them to stand out. I do think it's going to be particularly important for Andrew Scheer, given um, what, what, by all accounts, was a poor performance uh, in the French language debate, for him to really make the case about why uh, Justin Trudeau doesn't deserve re-election and, and why he, uh, more voters need to take a look at him. All right, David Coletto, as always, uh, thanks for your perspective, and uh, we'll see you on Monday night. Thanks, Peter. Well, let's spend a little time now on the campaign in Saskatchewan. There are 14 seats in Saskatchewan. Ten of them were held by the Conservatives when the election was called. Two were held by the NDP, one independent, and one Liberal, Cabinet Minister Ralph Goodell. This time, the polls suggest the Conservatives could be headed for a, a clean sweep in the province. Morgan Campbell has been following the campaign on the ground for CPAC. She's with me now. Uh, Morgan, good to see you. Thanks for being here. What's, what is the overall mood in the province as we come down to the last couple of weeks of the campaign? Uh, people seem to be a, a little bit, um, I'd say, frustrated already with the campaign. It's, it's a shorter campaign than it could have been, but I think maybe the general consensus among a lot of voters here in Saskatchewan is it's not short enough. I think people are frustrated, generally speaking, with the lack of substance in terms of the issues we've heard discussed. Seems to be a lot of mudslinging and not necessarily a lot of clear uh, policy discussions. What are people saying about these questions now about uh, he's a Saskatchewan guy, uh, you know, Ottawa to Saskatchewan, about Andrew Scheer and his past, the insurance broker story, the university degree and where he got it, and now this dual citizenship controversy? What, what role is any of that playing? I think generally speaking among um, Andrew Shear's supporters or his base, which as you mentioned in the intro, there are quite a few Andrew Shear supporters, quite a few people who are excited to see a leader who has a seat out west again. Um, I think that they are relatively unfazed by these, these recent um, developments. I don't think a lot of people are concerned about I mean, it's quite common for people to have dual citizenship in a lot of different places and the intricacies of if you were um, a full-blown insurance broker or someone who worked in an insurance office in the general scheme of things, especially compared to some other scandals we've seen you know, here in Canada and other parts of the world south of the border, it seems uh, relatively tame. So I don't see that really having an impact on people who were considering voting Conservative. I don't think it would change their vote. Oh, I know every riding has some of its own uh, partic uh, particular ballot box issues, but is there an overarching vote driver in the province of Saskatchewan that you can tell so far? 
We did have the um, Fridays for the Future climate rally here in Regina, uh, where, where I am based, last week, and we saw quite a few people out uh, in support of that. Of course, the provincial government here is one of the first governments to challenge the constitutionality of the federally imposed carbon tax that took place a, a few months ago. And although we haven't seen a lot of real-time financial implications from that yet. It really is a lightning rod for divisive politics. The carbon tax is something that is brought up by both conservative, NDP, green, liberal candidates across the board, and it's an issue where voters are certainly divided. You have people who are pro-carbon tax and you have people who are anti-carbon tax, and that seems to be something that comes up quite frequently as we come to the election coming up right away. Let's talk about Regina Wascana. Every election we, we hear Ralph Goodale, well, Ralph Goodale could be in trouble, could lose his seat, but he just keeps getting reelected. So what are you hearing this time around? Every time people think, you know, maybe this is this is the election that Ralph's not going to make it. In 2015, he ran against a conservative candidate, Michael Cram, who actually is his conservative opponent in 2019 as well. And people think he can't possibly maintain this support election after election, but he always does. I was out covering some Regina Louvan riding events last week, and even though they weren't um, related to Ralph Goodale's riding at all, he was still there. He was working the crowd. He was shaking everyone's hand. I went to the climate rally. He was there shaking everyone's hand. He is um, just tireless in his campaigning He's at every barbecue, he's at every ribbon-cutting ceremony. So I think that regardless of which political field you you may count yourself to be a part of, um, Ralph Goodell is, it's, uh, it's fairly consistent that he's just a really strong politician. Now, mind you, the Liberals haven't had as high of a profile in Saskatchewan or anywhere since maybe the 90s, so he might be a victim this time around of having too much of a spotlight on him, considering he's been a pretty high-profile cabinet minister in Justin Trudeau's government, and Justin Trudeau's government is not very popular here in Saskatchewan. So people are saying, you know, if there was a time when Ralph's luck may be wearing out, that 2019 just might be that time. All right, Jagmeet Singh, uh, the NDP leader, hit Saskatchewan today trying to shore up support in those three seats the NDP won in the last election. Uh, how are his proposals, in particular for the energy, energy industry, excuse me, uh, going over in Saskatchewan? There was a story that broke here last week that there were some members of the United Steelworkers Union. There's a steelworkers um, union that's quite active at the Everest Steel Plant here in Regina. They have about 1,100 members who were thinking, well, maybe we can't vote NDP anymore because they don't seem to be a party that's in line with um, the pipelines because a lot of steelworkers are involved in the oil and gas sector, in the pipeline industry, and in the energy industry. And as... Um, Jagmeet Singh sort of distances himself and his party from that base. He is losing a lot of support here in Saskatchewan. Now, mind you, there are great alternatives. Um, some of the people I was speaking with who are involved in different labor unions say, well, we're not happy with the NDP, but we're also not happy with the Conservatives because traditionally they haven't been a friend of the union sector. So that leaves them sort of feeling like there isn't really a party that aligns with their values and a little bit torn, at least at this stage in the campaign. All right. And uh, we're going to see, uh, hear more from Morgan in the next few minutes here because she's reporting on two ridings, uh, uh, very interesting ridings in Saskatchewan. Uh, thanks for this, Morgan. We'll talk again. My pleasure. 
Well, CPAC is on the ground in some 50 ridings across Canada in this election, in virtually every corner of the country. The ridings, we believe, will tell the story of the election outcome through the issues that matter to Canadians, no matter where they live. For the next half hour, CPAC's Morgan Campbell looks at two key races in Saskatchewan and why they are CPAC ridings to watch. Urban Saskatchewan, where condos and cars cut through wide swaths of wheat. This year's harvest is rife with political uncertainty. Climate change is not a lie! In two of Canada's fastest growing cities, a pair of NDP seats may turn blue as voters grapple with roots in both conservative values and progressive labour policy. Medicare free. In 1962, it was a historic Canada Day that right. NDP gave the gift to Saskatchewan. Regina is where Tommy Douglas and the CCF first made their mark. It's the birthplace of the NDP and home to one of the country's 50 wealthiest ridings, Regina Louvan. Businessman and mechanical engineer Jigar Patel is toting his party's pharmacare and universal daycare policies on the doorstep. So they would like to put that child in, in daycare. That costs them $600 to $1,500 for each kid. And if they want to work that for minimum wages, any restaurant or any McDonald's or Tim Horton, they're going to make maybe $1,700, $1,800. And that, that goes to straight up to the daycare. So they're confused what to do. Conservative Warren Steinley is a two-term SAS party MLA. He's banking on a different approach. The energy sectors on a downturn right now and I think our policies of you know putting some more money in your pocket affordability uh, the universal tax cut we announced two Sundays ago I heard a lot on the doorstep you know if you lower that first tax bracket from 15 percent to 13.75 percent that puts 850 dollars back into a household in, in Saskatchewan and across Regina Louvain that that money can be pretty well spent Three hours up the road in Saskatoon, a similar story plays out in the Bridge City. Larger than the provincial capital, Saskatoon has also experienced significant growth since 2015. But not everyone has benefited from the increase in population. It's really important to watch where you're walking, if you're riding while you're walking. A lot of older neighbourhoods uh, don't have very good sidewalks, uh, that kind of things. Incumbent Sherry Benson is looking for a second term in a riding with an inner city core she knows well. We, we sort of got caught up in the technicalities of voting, but this is a really, I mean, you guys got a chance to go out there and we can keep a great MP. It's important. Yeah. It's really, really, the work you're doing today, I can't even tell you how important it is. Ms. Benson, even though I think she's probably been a rather successful uh, 
MP in Ottawa. She's probably not quite as known as uh, a retail politician back home in Saskatchewan. She served a pretty large role with the with the NDP caucus, obviously, and, and I think is quite capable, but the fact of the matter is uh, she too suffers by comparison related to uh, issues like the carbon tax and others, and it's going to be interesting as to how that plays out. So we've helped over 2,000 people, been able to help people access over $350,000 worth of benefits. One thing in this riding in Saskatoon is we've lost our counter service for Canada Revenue Agency. There's no way you can go to talk to someone in person. Uh, for immigration, there's no one here you can talk to in person. So people are frustrated with no one answering the phone, trying to navigate uh, websites. Um, and so that's a piece that I feel really good about. That. Oh, thank you! <laughs> okay, I didn't plan that. Conservative Brad Redekop runs a home building business just outside of Saskatoon. His connections resonate with voters on the middle class exterior of Saskatoon West. Please welcome the next Prime Minister of Canada, Andrew Scheer. Redekop worked with Conservative MP Kelly Block for a decade. Now he says he has a strong foundation based on affordability and fiscal responsibility. You make sure we get Kevin and Corey and Brad and Kelly and all our candidates all across this province elected. And I will go everywhere else in this great, big, beautiful country of ours. And I'll get the rest of the seats we need to put an end to Justin Trudeau's scandal play government. Thanks very much, ladies and gentlemen. As we have an increasing debt, we have an increasing interest payment that we have to make on that debt. And that causes taxes to remain high or even go higher to pay, those, to pay that interest. And that just makes life difficult for everybody. At the end of the day, uh, you need money in your pocket to go buy groceries and so by getting rid of the carbon tax that's putting money in people's pockets um, getting rid of the gst on sask energy bills for uh, residents here that's that's putting money in people's pockets not everyone in this riding is thinking about tax cuts the city of saskatoon has identified a homeless problem many end up in saskatoon west which includes the downtown <laughs> So this is our men's shelter, our emergency men's shelter, and so men who are needing shelter in our community come here on a regular basis. No, I'm good, I'm good. Last February we had, I think, about 25 out in our cafeteria uh, during the cold spell, and so we will never turn anyone away due to capacity. Um, we do have a 61-person bed limit, but we very often during the cold weather will go over capacity. One of four renters in Saskatoon West requires subsidy assistance and nearly half must spend too much on housing, more than a third of their income. Chris Randall with Saskatoon's Lighthouse Supported Living says he sees people struggling 
to acquire stable housing every day. What we're concerned about as an organization is the continuation of the plan that was put in place last year with the National Housing Strategy. We feel like that's a good uh, place where Canada's begun and it's a you know sort of once in a generation investment, major investment into housing, building affordable housing, building social housing, building the community supports and then putting the case managers in place so that people can be successfully housed and remain successfully housed long term. Yeah, so this is going to be a very exciting, very exciting, exciting, yeah. The leadership need to change their mission statement. They need to change their focus on what they're trying to do in this country because it's usually just about them. One in five residents of Saskatoon West are Indigenous. It's a big voting block, big enough to make or break a candidate. Along with affordability for housing and education, these First Nations University students want to see government representatives who listen to Indigenous voices. As Indigenous people, we grow up with three things, learning three things, don't talk, don't feel, don't trust. Yep. And able to even understand that in your own life without realizing it is a big thing, being self-aware and understanding this is how, what I learned growing up. Mm -hmm. And that's a barrier for a lot of Indigenous people, is being able to understand themselves and what is actually affecting them and education is a big influ influencer a, a, for a better life for a lot of us. We need a leader to, uh, to really focus on, on our poverty and the intellectual side of it. Like our children are not learning in grade 8 or grade one, 1 to 8. They're not learning anything that's going to help them have any self self-identity. We need more leadership to focus on uh, uh, getting to us, getting reaching yes. out to us youth that Related. are in the inner city yeah. that, that have no self-worth. I grew up on reserve my whole life other than coming to school for education and never once did I ever see any leaders coming to parade in our reserve even during election just maybe recently five years ago that they started coming into the communities and coming to boast about what they're they're promising. Why don't they come in there when there's no election? Working in, in the system for the last 17 years, I've seen so many kids uh, lost to the system, mm -hmm. lost to the gangs, lost to the, to the welfare system, yeah. lost to suicide. You know, I've, I've uh, experienced all that raising these boys for the last 17 years. I've seen what the government Can, does, not does for them and what the government doesn't do for them and I see what the, what the government sure. could do for them. Yes, and not just and helping one person but the family because everybody's hurting. Can I just say hi? Yeah. To let you know, I'm Sherry. I'm uh, running to be the Member of Parliament again. So when you reach out to Indigenous voters, they're talking about, you know, what has really changed. Um, there's a lot of talk, um, very little action, um, and um, I agree with them. I talk to a lot of them who are frustrated with, with uh, the current Liberal government, for sure. Um, and so they're looking for change, they're looking for difference. So, so you know, our message, our message resonates with them as well.
Well, I live literally a stone's throw from here. I am uh, a first generation Canadian. My mother does come from the Philippines, my father from Indonesia. And so coming to events like this, you, you get to see the community out there. You get to see you know, other cultures being represented in the community. Uh, make uh, air here, if, if you want. It's nice just to, to experience that, right? And many of these folks aren't. Uh, able to vote, but just understanding what's what's affecting them, and I, I, at the end of the day, experiencing their culture and enjoying it. What it kind of looks like with the booth, and then asking people like what matters to them. Like, so the purpose here today for uh, this little booth of the Pop Up Collections Canada is uh, just to show people what the elections in Canada look like, so they can it's just demystified, so it's not a mystery. And then also asking people like what matters to them, and then they can feel free to write on the sticky note from the board. Many people are coming to Canada and. Trying to find affordable housing is a difficulty, and so trying to tackle that issue, right? You know, how do we increase the amount of homes that, and, and builds that are available that are affordable? Give the, the Greens a chance. It isn't a wasted vote. It does send a message to the other parties if you vote for the Greens that these issues do matter. I just wanted to come say hi today. I'm just doing your street. Oh, so thank then we you. looked on there and said, oh. I had two sign here, it won't disappear on me. Uh, it's not that I don't think the Greens aren't a factor or that they don't have good policies that might speak to some folks, but uh, if you want a progressive voice from this riding that reflects um, things that are important to you, whether it's the environment, um, whether it's affordable housing, um, then um, I'm the candidate and we're the party to take that, that will be able to win and take that to take that to Ottawa. It's, it's really, you know, we can feel that it's close here and we want to win this riding and I think it's also good for uh, the residents too because um, the people that I'm talking to are very motivated and so when the race is close it just makes sure that they get out and vote so that's, I think it's good all around. When we win on October 21st we're going to be standing here with a paintbrush and we're going to paint this blue. Back in the provincial capital, Regina, the political picture is just as complex. But the focus is different. We're all going to lie on the ground and play dead right here in front of the legislative building. The Greens actually have been spending their entire existence creating a full climate plan and it's time. Okay, okay. <laughs> Instead of poverty, the environment has taken center stage. Canadians haven't listened to science, government hasn't listened to science for 40 years. Every vote should count and I really encourage people my age to get out there and vote. I like what the Liberals did with the carbon tax and I think that needs to be expanded. I think the monies that are raised from there should go back into renewable energies. Let's all just take a moment to admire just how many of us are here. It takes true ignorance for somebody behind that door to pretend that they cannot hear us. My name's Marcus and I want to ask people to stop using plastic. My name is Winter, and you shouldn't use too much gas and no smoking. You should recycle a lot and no using plastic. And so I'm so 
happy that this is happening and that it all starts in education, in our schools, telling our kids that this is real and that this needs to happen now. And so I think that even the kids who came here today against your parents' wishes, against your teachers' wishes, I think you can go back to your schools and say, hey, this is real, this is what we're going to do about it, and this is how we're going to change the world. New electoral boundaries made this a completely urban riding in 2015. This is four years ago. Voters in this new riding elected their first federal NDP representative, Aaron Weir. Aaron Weir is the former uh, NDP MP that was removed from caucus for allegations of harassment after an investigation. After much controversy, they booted him out of the caucus and a lot of NDP, including a lot of NDP within that riding, he had the support of the riding association actually, were very unhappy with that decision. Patel is campaigning in the shadow of that scandal, but he says he's confident he can still appeal to his wide base of NDP faithful. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. And if you have any concern yeah. or question, sure. please feel free to call okay. me. Okay. Well, do. Thank you. Awesome. Thank bye bye. I'd like to say thank you so much uh, to Erin for his services, but I'm not involved in the decision, so I'm not worried for those support. They do believe in NDP policy and they are with us for sure. Mm -hmm. Another factor threatening to erode Regina Luvan's NDP vote, questions from local union groups. Mike Day represents roughly 1,100 steelworkers at the local Evraz steel plant. 95% of our work is for pipelines, uh, regardless of what we do, and then recycling steel. So, I mean, what are we doing there? So, if that's, you know, we're, they're not... The NDP, the Greens, everybody's saying no more pipelines regardless. That's, that's their position. Well, then we're out of work. Unionized steelworkers helped the NDP get elected, but they are less than pleased about the federal party's environmental mandate under Jugmeet Singh. A lot of people, especially out at the plant, don't see that the NDP is the party of labor anymore. Hi there. Hi. Hi. My name is Winter. I'm the Liberal candidate for Regina Louvain yes. in the election coming up. Nice to meet you. I see you have a sign, but yeah. I still wanted to introduce myself. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And to see how you think things are going and to find out what issues are important to you. Liberal hopeful Winter Fedick would love to see her party capitalize on questions surrounding the NDP. So locally, you know, I've, I've got a lot of faith and trust in, in the representatives of the party. It's the national level, the people I don't know have a little less, so yeah. I'm really on the fence right now. A good policy idea is something that I'm willing to look at no matter what party it comes from. For me, the reason that I got involved with the Liberal Party is because I can actually do something with that. Yep. Feel free to reach out to me at any time and I'm happy to chat. Perfect, thank okay. you so much. Thank you, have a good day. But in Regina Louvan, candidates must walk a fine line between economic and environmental sustainability. Two words are frequently at the center of debate here, carbon tax. All right, well, I'm joined now with Warren Steinle, Conservative Party candidate for the Regina Louvain Reading. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. The carbon tax does come up a lot. I know people say, you always talk about the carbon tax. Well, that's what we hear on the doorsteps. We're hearing people are paying more for their groceries, for gas, for heating. And it's something where it feels like every, over the past four years, people have been working hard and 
feels like they're just not in a better position than they were four years ago. Under a conservative government, the recently imposed federal carbon tax would disappear. Give a thumbs up. Oh, good job. An outcome on which opinions in Regina Louvan are staunchly divided. I'm John Hopkins, and I'm not in favor of a carbon tax, but in favor of reducing emissions. My name is Michael Wright, and I support the carbon tax because it will decouple economic growth from carbon emissions. The oil we have in the ground is something that's called natural capital. What we're doing is burning up our capital. It's basically like we've won the lottery. If we're not recapturing that natural capital through some type of tax or royalty, we are leaving nothing to our future generations. So that billion dollars a year that we are currently spending on education and health, if that's not reinvested in something that will be wealth generating for us in the future, plus to clean up the mess that it's taken to get all the oil and gas out of the ground, we're basically robbing Peter to pay Paul, and that's not something that I would feel comfortable See, I would with. disagree with that. So here's the dif difference, I think, from where you're coming yep. from, where I'm coming from. Yep. I believe that Canadians actually want to do something concrete, whether yep. it's put solar panels up or whatever it might be. Yep. Because I think that Canadians actually want to do something that's actually going to reduce emissions as opposed to pay a tax. They actually want to get something done and say, okay, I've done this and I feel really good about what I'm doing. And I, don't, I do know that a lot of people think that way. Yep. So when you look about, think about solar, a lot of times if you look at the, you know, this, our city, there's lots of trees, which is a great thing. And so solar may not work on every single rooftop. But if you had a solar farm just outside the city, it probably would. And so those are some of the things I think that we probably both agree on we need to do more of. I was surprised at how the carbon tax issue has, has taken hold as a talking point in this particular province. It's partly because that's all the provincial government talks about, and obviously pretty much all Andrew Scheer talks about. And even though um, in relative terms, it has yet to really affect us quite dramatically, uh, it seems to be such a touchstone for everything everybody hates about the Liberals and Trudeau in this province. The policies and the direction that the federal NDP are going is not resonating with their base. It says that Having an agenda that is anti-pipeline and pro-carbon tax isn't what their traditional voters want to hear. And NDP is also committed to uh, create more than 300,000 jobs in green energy and want to put Canada as a leading green energy uh, country in the world. For CPAC, I'm Morgan Campbell in Regina Louvain and Saskatoon West.